Welcome, everyone. I am Kevin Cole. This is Unexpected Points. Another game, another week, another exciting week of NFL football in the books. Um, I'm going to go through all the Sunday action here. We got 13 games to go over. Makes it a little bit easier doubling up on Monday night, and I'll review those Monday night games tomorrow morning. And I'll get into some more stuff. Had a little bit of a internet thing going on on the Twitter sphere where I put out some adjusted scores, which I talk about in depth on here, and you'll hear them for all the different games. Some adjusted scores on the Chiefs-Chargers game. And when I said that the scores indicated that the Chiefs were worse than the Chargers, I think I said much worse or that the Chargers were much better. That much can really make really make a huge difference when things get shared around to literally millions of people um, as this ended up going on here. Chiefs fans were not having it. We're not having it at all. Um, but, you know, I think the value there is if you look at how that game was viewed going into it, Chiefs Chargers, I would assume that the the line going forward, like if they were going to play each other again, I think using my adjusted scores, which said it was 26 to 15 Chargers versus the actual score, uh, 27-24, Chiefs, is going to be more reflective of what we see. You know, the Chiefs were anywhere from a four and a half to three and a half point favorite going into that game. I bet if they played again, it would be three, which is a big half point to move down. Maybe even two and a half, which is another huge half point to move down. So in that circumstance, that reflects much more the Chargers having been the better team in a better game than the actual score reflects. And that's why that's why I talk about these things here. I'm not trying to take away your victories, Chiefs fans. Um, I'm not trying to, to, to you know, erase, erase the 2-0 and o and uh, put it one and one in there. Not trying to do that at all. Just trying to help educate people. Just trying to help. Some people don't want to be helped, though. Chiefs Kingdom, not happy about that. Um, as a side note, and I'm kind of wasting time here on this one, but Chiefs Kingdom... I mean, you're a chief, right? Like, there are no kings within the chiefdom. Should be a chiefdom. Chief's chiefdom. Chief's kingdom. That makes no sense. There's no chief and a king going on over there. Work on some better names over there. Better hashtags for your team also, Chiefs. But I still love you guys because I love Patrick Mahomes so much. Uh, Okay, so before we get into all the different games here, I'm first going to set up one of the narratives we're going to hear a lot Uh, People love to clown on the win probability models. And I don't know if there have been a better week in a long time, if not NFL history, to clown on the win probability models than this week. We have three games in particular, and we have other games that ended up getting close, close to comebacks. We have three games where there was a 20-point comeback. So just to give context as to whether or not the win probability models don't account for things if you know the whole league is shifted now we can't think about the nfl the way that we thought about it in the past all that stuff we had zero comebacks from 20 or more points last season we have three this week so i think it's an outlier week let's not go expecting this every single week going forward um but there were three teams the browns the ravens and the raiders who are all favored, according to, I believe, pretty well-calibrated win probability models, were all favored 
with a win probability of 98 or 99%, and then went on to lose the games. So, yeah, maybe there needs to be a little bit of a change. We have to think, like, what is the reason? What's the rationale? Well, we have these high-powered offenses that we didn't have before. Maybe that's part of it. But again, like, this wasn't happening last year. Uh, Coverage busts, I think, are a big one. If you saw the Browns game, they had a huge coverage bust uh, that ended up going to a long Corey Davis touchdown, a couple of Tyreek Hill touchdowns. Bust may be an extreme way of talking about the first one where he kind of just runs past Marcus Peters, but it wasn't great coverage to get those types of plays to come back. Are those happening more often with all the communication on the back end? Maybe, but I think for the most part, we have to be aware of this happen, but then not you know rearrange all of the win probability models. And the models that I'm talking about here specifically is at Ben Baldwin's R bsdmrunningbacksdontmatter.com site. It's pretty well calibrated. Like it aligns well with the betting markets. It's not like one of these models that's way off from the betting markets that we've seen in some other places. ESPN. Um, Okay. Let's get into this week of action. I'm going to start off with the early games and then roll all the way through Sunday night. The first game that I am going to review is going to be a disappointing contest between the Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Saints, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Bucks were two and a half point favorites in this, which is a little light. I mean, I know it was in um, New Orleans, so that's one of the reasons for that. But that shows how there was a little bit of a carryover here from the Tom Brady can't beat the Saints type of narrative. And it wouldn't be necessarily wrong if you look at what happened in this game despite the fact that they ended up winning 20 to 10 my adjusted scores and again let's talk about the adjusted scores the thing that Chiefs fans hate more than anything else and I'm sure there'll be additional fan bases that I can I can pick up along the way that will end up hating these things adjusted scores to explain it correctly it looks at the traditional relationship between offensive success rate so in other words on a play-by-play basis are you successful or not that's much more stable than looking at the actual like EPA expected points added per play, which has huge outlier plays that 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 affect it. So it looks at mostly at that success rate, also accounting for the outlier outlier plays, but then discounting those a bit. And the more random those plays are, like let's say a fumble six, uh, the more that those are discounted in this. And then it also makes some adjustments for special teams play. It makes some adjustments for turnover-worthy plays, like dropped interceptions that don't end up happening. It makes some um, adjustments for fumble recovery rate. If there are five fumbles in one game and one team recovers all of them, uh, that's not going to happen very often. And it's hugely, hugely impactful. Um, And it's just not something we can think about being sustained going forward. So it's going to count for all of that to try to get a better score for what actually the underlying fundamentals of what happened. Of course, there's context to everything. I'm not denying context. I'm not saying this is the holy grail and, you know, it should be worshipped, whatever the score is here. But it's just to try to help us be a little bit more informed than what we could be just watching the game, just seeing the final score, especially once we get weeks into the future. Are you going to really remember back about like, oh yeah, this team did win by 10 points, but they weren't as good as it looked. No, but this helps quantify it, have those numbers moving forward, project these teams going forward. So 12 to 12, not an exciting score here, um, is, is the final score here according to the adjusted scores. And that's because the Tampa Bay offense and Brady 
uh, and the running game in particular, really struggled. They were in the first percentile, first or second percentile in their success rate in this game. Really, really bad. I mean, New Orleans wasn't a lot better at 26%, 26 percentile, but they were a bit better. Uh, and then you had, you know, Jameis doing some Jameis things here with the pick six. They had uh, one fumble lost. So no turnovers for the the Bucks, which helped keep them close here. And from a drop back percentage, they actually had a pretty decent EPA per play dropping back. Brady did. Just the success rate was not there. It was a couple of bigger plays which ended up helping. And other than that, it wasn't so great. Uh, James ended up with a sub-50 grade, uh, lost about 0.4 expected points per play. So just a really poor, poor performance there. Of course, there was a lot of other extraneous things going on here. We'll see if Mike Evans ends up being suspended. Like, this dude hates Marshawn Lattimore. He hates Marshawn Lattimore so much. Uh, so that could, you know, that could affect this division going forward. And I do think we have to maybe start questioning a little bit what we're seeing here from the Bucks offense. Again, they were not very good, but they didn't have to be in week one against Dallas because Dallas's offense was so, so bad. Not so great this week, although that's a little bit more expected. I mean, I think Dallas and New Orleans may both be top five defenses, so we don't want to overreact to the struggles that we're seeing in this game. But, you know, outside of a... 41-yard catch by Mike Evans on third and four, which is hugely impactful. They He completed the 28-yard touchdown to Brashad Perryman on third and five. Again, a lot of third down success here. 23-yard uh, pass to Scotty Miller on third and 10. A lot of a lot of things. So a lot other than outside of those those biggish sort of plays for for Brady and for this offense, just grinding it out and not getting a whole lot done. Quite honestly, just struggling, struggling. And I think they're going to get right. I think they're going to get right going forward. But it's at least something to monitor to say, okay, this Bucks offense, and this is a team that was seen as being you know top three when we're talking about Super Bowl contenders this year. How much of it is the offensive line, which we knew was going to be an issue? How much of it is Chris Godwin being in and out of the lineup? Uh, we don't know. I mean, they didn't have to run the ball well in this game, but when you have Leonard Fournette going 24 carries, 65 yards, it's just uh, not good. Not good at all for their potential going forward in this one. And as far as the receivers are concerned, again, with Godwin out, with Julio Jones out, you have Brashad Perryman, you know, with 45 yards. Mike Evans with 61 yards. Brady, 190 yards in this game. So I think we have to compare this and really look back to what happened last season. I mean, Brady is, um, Brady was, you know, the leader in pass attempts, leader in yardage over the last couple of years. Yet you look at this one, Brady has 407 passing yards and two touchdowns in, in total in two games. So about 200 yards a game and a touchdown per game. He averaged 323 passing yards and two and a half touchdowns per game last season. So way behind the curve as far as that's concerned. I thought Brady looked pretty good throwing the ball earlier this year. So I'm not, again, not writing him off two great defenses so far, but at least something to monitor going forward. Uh, one other thing to monitor going forward is Jameis has broken back. Uh, it sounds like he needs a backyotomy. 
right now because he's got four broken vertebrae. And what I assumed, and I believe this is the case, is that it triggered immediately in my mind, remembering back to when Tony Romo had this thing, where it's called a transverse process is what it's called, breaks, where there's kind of like a tip, pointy tip on the vertebrae, which gets broken, where you don't have to, you know, it'll heal eventually on its own. It's pain management. There's no... There's no uh, additional damage that can happen to it. I don't think Jameis's play from what I saw was affected by it at all. And for what it's worth, Tony Romo probably had the best half season of his career after he had this injury back in 2014. Post-injury, he did miss a game though, uh, and then he came back. Post-injury for Romo when he had the same Jameis Winston injury, seven games, he completed 72% of his passes, 8.8 yards per attempt, led the NFL, 19 touchdowns, three interceptions. Awesome ratios there. Most efficient quarterback in the NFL during that period when he ha- when he also had, I think, three broken vertebrae, a similar sort of thing um, to Jameis here. The old Jameis that we saw with the three picks, the four turnover-worthy plays, all that sort of stuff, you know. Maybe LASIK, maybe LASIK Jameis wasn't going to, what wasn't going to fix everything for him there. And we may see more of that going forward um, if they can't get anything going as far as on a steady basis. Jameis is, is going to be a little bit persona non grata because that defense is playing fairly well for the Saints. Okay, let's get to uh, Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Indianapolis Colts wipeout city here. Um, not something that I expected, despite the fact that Colts just can't win in Jacksonville. Um, we've seen, you know, many times that they've lost several times in a row, 24, nothing here. The adjusted score that I have is 34 to 14. So at least the Colts weren't so pathetic offensively, although they were pretty bad that they should have had some points in this game, but Jacksonville could have actually had more points than what they ended up having in this one also. Uh, under a 10th percentile for success rate for Indianapolis. Unlike last week, they were not able to run the ball at all on top of not being able to pass the ball. They were in the 10th percentile in their success rate, uh, running the ball. And I don't know if it's premature or not, but we might want to think about Matt Ryan. Are we on Matt Ryan is washed or are we on watch for that right now? Because, um, it's not looking great. It's not looking great for Matty Ice. And the, the numbers for him so far, again, 16 of 30 here, so barely 50%, 195 yards, three INTs, five sacks here. Uh, Michael Pittman's out, Alex Pierce is out, but still, he's 27th in his grading right now. For all quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, 32nd in EPA per play. Now, I tried to write off Matt Ryan after a couple of poor performances to start last year, and he didn't get a lot better going forward, but he did bring things together to some degree. So I'm not totally writing him off. But I do think it's interesting that we've had a couple of bad performances from him where everyone assumed going into this year two different things, which may not be true. One, Mitch Trubisky would be better than Ben Roethlisberger. I'll get to that and why that's probably, at least so far, not true, and that Matt Ryan would be better than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz had some issues, bad grading, but his, at least superficially, his numbers were decent last year. 
Uh, Jonathan Taylor was effective, five, um, but not many carries. Nine carries for 54 yards. Uh, big James Robinson game, although I think that it was a little bit deceptive outside of the 38-yard touchdown that he had. He was massively negative and not very effective there. But at least from a workload perspective for the fantasy football heads out there, he had more carries and he even ran more routes than Travis Etienne. So becoming a bigger and bigger part of that offense. Maybe it's a game script thing, but we'll see going forward. Okay, on the other side, uh, let's talk about Trevor Lawrence because Lawrence is now in the top 10 in EPA per play this year. But I'm not getting too excited yet about him because, again, I like to combine grading and EPA per play. So he's seventh in EPA per play, pretty good, but he's 15th in grading. And it's two games, and he's right next to Jacoby Brissett. Brissett is 16th in grading and 8th in EPA per play. So, you know, we're not crowning Jacoby Brissett, obviously, off of these two games. We probably shouldn't be crowning Lawrence either off of these two games. Now, why is is grading not matching up with what he's done so far from an EPA per play perspective? Well, it's mostly the turnover-worthy plays that he's had and the lack of accuracy on some throws where in the box score, it just show, I mean, it's just a missed throw. So it's not going to be that detrimental. But when they could have been a highly, highly impactful play and it doesn't end up happening, mostly that was stuff that was happening in week one for him. Uh, it's going to be graded a bit worse by ours. But he did improve 74 uh, you know, passing grade this last week versus 58 the week before, but still a little bit of wait and see for Trevor Lawrence. What I will say is the fact that the team is performing functionally, I think you have to say that Doug Peterson and that upgrade at coaching couldn't probably be bigger. And the Jags, you know, they're sneaky good on fourth downs this year, but maybe that shouldn't be so sneaky for the fact that Doug Peterson and the Eagles in 2017, were really the team more than anything else that propelled forward, uh, going forward on fourth down and that type of thinking. The Jags right now are fourth overall in their go rate on fourth down versus expectation. And they went for it a couple of times, uh, once from the 40-something yard line, once fourth and one from the five-yard line, times where they easily, especially the fourth and five from the one-yard line, they were up. They didn't have to go for it, that they easily could have, have gone for it. Um, one other thing about Lawrence, either you should be happy going forward because he has good protection and he's always kind of protected himself pretty well, not taking sacks, or you should say, well, he's not only going to get three pressures in every game going forward. The Colts only pressured him three times, you know, great game script, better offensive line play. The Colts defense is having some trouble generating pressure. So that's not going to happen always going forward, but cautiously optimistic on Trevor Lawrence. Okay, Detroit-Washington is next here. Fun game. Uh, One that looked like it was going to be a total and complete blowout starting off the game, and then Washington came all the way back. The Looks like the Commanders ended as a one-point favorite. I'm a little surprised by that. Um, Score 36-27, Detroit Lions. Oh, Lions fans are not going to be happy with me because – my adjusted score has the commanders as up 28-24. Now, it all depends on where you set garbage time. Like, if you're thinking that the commanders and Carson Wentz came back partially because it was, quote-unquote, garbage time, 
because they were down by so much in this game that we should be discounting that stuff heavily. I mean, I don't discount stuff unless it's, you know, 1% win probability type of situations for teams to come back because I'm not sure. And also fourth quarter, fourth quarter, you can, you can be a little bit more uh, marginal there because I'm not sure defenses really change their philosophy that much in the second or third quarter, even if they're up big offenses change their philosophy. Um, if they're up big in the third quarter, they probably will start to run it a bit more than they would normally, but I don't know if defenses really do until the end. So that's why I'm, more conservative or less aggressive on discounting garbage time stuff here. And I'm giving credit to the commanders for the comeback and for what they were able to do there. They had a higher success rate in this game and it was really on the arm of Carson Wentz an 80% success rate for him. The problem is of course he had the interception. He had another bad turnover worthy play, which I ding them for here. So he's just going to give you that sort of stuff, but still an 80% 80th percentile success rate. Uh, throwing the ball is really, really good for them, especially when they were under the 10th percentile when it came to running ball. So this was mostly Carson Wentz that was bringing them back in this situation. Uh, Goff played well, at least, you know, superficially by the numbers. And the running game was really what was driving things for the Lions. But I discount that running game success somewhat because of the fact that there are two 50-yard runs in there. Uh, there have only been six 50-yard runs this season, two in this game for this one team, the Detroit Lions. Not something you're necessarily get all the time. Uh, no fumbles, no interceptions for Goff, but he did have a turnover-worthy play, a turnover-worthy throw. That, that was a dropped interception. And the grading in this game, Goff 61.6, Carson Wentz 57.4. So not a big difference between the two. Between another showdown of former number one and number two picks, now on different teams. Um, but the Lions offense is frisky. Uh, I'm on Raw St. Brown breakout game here. Well over 100 yards uh, doing everything, including the rushing, as I mentioned earlier on here. And DeAndre Swift, explosive plays there. So if they can get explosive plays from those guys without having to rely on, you know, Jared Goff necessarily throwing the ball down the field, they continue to get pretty good offensive line play. It's just really going to be that defense. This Lions defense, if they can start to get a little bit better because they basically laid down for Carson Wentz in the second half of this game, the second two-thirds of this game. And the week before, Philadelphia was just running up and down the field against them whenever they would. So that's going to be the problem for the Lions. But good to see Dan Campbell get his W, get his win here. We don't have to worry about rolling around to week 8, 9, 10 and just talk about how they're competing they actually put one on the board here and get a victory, uh, which is going to be great for them going forward. Another thing that happened in this game, and we got to talk about it, is the going for two down eight discussion. This is kind of my bread and butter because I wrote an article on a now defunct website called, what did I call it? Predictive Football. And, you know, I'm not, not great with the naming conventions here. Um, which was talking about going for two down eight. And the easiest way that I can demonstrate this is I put together a little like flow chart on this and I'll describe exactly how it talks about. But the, the key here is what you're doing in this circumstance when you're going for two down eight is you're assuming, because we're near the end of the game, you're assuming the most likely scenario where you're going to be able to get a victory 
is you score, you, you scored here, right? So you already have the score that you're going to stop the other team from scoring the rest of the game because it's near the end. If they score again, you're, you know, your win probability is like negligible. So you stop the other team from scoring and then you score another touchdown. So assuming that happens, and I know it's a lot to assume what happens because they did this. And then on the very next drive that I think the, the lions drove down the field and scored a touchdown, which just wiped out everything. But assuming you can do that, assuming you can get a stop, you can get the ball back and you can get a score again. Then let's look at how these different scenarios play out. And what you're doing is you're using the knowledge of whether or not you're getting the two-point conversion first. Because we see teams sometimes right at the very end of the game, they're down by one. And they say, you know what, I'm going to go for the two-point conversion now and then win the game. Well, why not find out whether or not you're successful first? So find out whether or not you're successful on the two-point conversion on on the other touchdown. And then on the second touchdown, if you are successful... You just have to kick an extra point to win the game. So if you assume you're about a 50-50 chance of making the two-point conversion, and again, I don't want to quibble with the exact percentages for exact teams. We're just going to use these easier numbers. If you assume you're a 50-50 chance of making the two, you make it 50% of the time. The scenario plays out the way that I said. You stop them. you You get a touchdown. Then you kick the extra point and you win. Boom. So half of the time you win the game when that scenario plays out. If you fail on the two, now that you know that you failed on the two, you score again and you go for two again because you still have the ability then to make the second two tie the game. Then you go to overtime and you have a 50% chance of winning in overtime. So roughly a quarter of the time, then you go to overtime and then you're adding about 12.5% win probability. That's what you're adding there. Now, if you fail both times and you lose by two, like losing by two or losing by one, it doesn't matter. Like who cares? You lost. So a quarter of the time you just lose in regulation. So you're upping the chance of losing in regulation, but you're vastly increasing the chance of winning in regulation. So rather than go to overtime where it's basically a coin flip, it's a 50-50 chance of winning. What you're doing is you're saying you're getting a 50% chance of winning in regulation plus an additional 12.5% chance of winning in overtime. That's why you do this. It's foolproof. It's free win probability. We're seeing more and more teams do it. Um, there was another team who did it. I can't remember who it was now. There's another team who did it and then was successful getting it, but then they eventually, I think, ended up uh, uh, losing the game. So that's why teams are doing it more and more. It's really uncontroversial when you look into the numbers behind it, but some people don't understand it. But I think it's important that everyone here, whenever you see a team – down eight points after a score in the fourth quarter, they should always be going for two in that circumstance. Let that knowledge and the way you can mix around those points by saying two and then one, rather than having to go one and then two, um, gives you a chance to win in regulation and still use that knowledge to potentially go to overtime also. That's how it works. That's why it's a smart play. That's why you'll see more and more teams pretty much always doing it going forward, other than those who are way behind the curve when it comes to listening to quote unquote analytics, which in this case is pretty simple math that tells you, you must be doing this. Okay. Um, Let's get, oh yeah, yeah. good game for Aiden Hutchinson too. Three sacks, six pressures. His grade wasn't that great. So I guess he got some, some easy ones. Okay, Baltimore and the Miami Dolphins. Game of the week. It's funny. I thought this might be the game of the week going into it, but I was a little skeptical 
of the offensive fireworks that would come from Tua and that offense last week. Because, you know, according to my adjusted scores, and I was I was hoping a little bit that Miami would look worse according to my adjusted scores this week and win the game. So then I could like rile up the uh, Dolphins fans and two and on. I could get them after me because I, I could have said something to the effect of, oh, they're two and oh, but they should be oh and two because they've been worse. But I, I can't do it because their adjusted score is actually better in this one. Um, but this was kind of a prove it game for the Dolphins after last week. Again, I thought that they did not play that well, particularly well at all. Um, other than the fourth down version and long run and the fumble six, they they weren't really doing anything on offense. Things changed this time. Uh, Baltimore is a three and a half point favorite going into this game. It ends up being a 38 to 42. Well, I, I don't know why I read it that direction. 42 to 38. Miami wins the game coming back from a huge deficit. This was a 98% win probability that Baltimore had at one point. The adjusted scores, I have 35-31 Miami. So I do have them as being the better team according to the adjusted scores. Just big numbers across the board for these teams. I mean, 96th percentile success rate for Miami, 81 for the Ravens. And the problem with the Ravens here, there's going to be a little bit of a worry for this team, is that offensively running the ball, 25th, percentile success rate now they were 75th percentile in how they actually generated epa running the ball but that's because lamar jackson ran for 79 yards on a scram on 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 a designed run you take that out they stink running the ball they're bad running the ball this week they were bad running the ball last week they were bad running the ball all of last season and while I think Lamar Jackson has stepped forward and he looked great. He probably had the best half of football I've seen from anyone in the first half of this game, minus fumbling the snap uh, on a fourth and one conversion. Despite that, they're still running the ball a lot. So if they're going to continue to do that. It's just going to put Lamar behind the eight ball uh, a bit. And it's just going to force him to have to convert a lot of third and fourth downs. And in this game, he couldn't do it. They're negative five. Expected points added in third and fourth down situations in this one. Uh, only four of 13. And, of course, two huge fourth down failures in this game, which made quite the difference in this one. Uh, but, again, outside of Lamar Jackson and the big plays he was making throwing and running the ball, they don't have anything offensively. Really tough to argue that Lamar Jackson's a product of the system right now when his big explosive plays are the only things that are keeping the Ravens going. Um, and he's able been able to produce them pretty pretty consistently. All right, let's talk to a because the the uh, the running game is actually pretty good. I mean, I'll state quickly for Miami. They transitioned to uh, Raheem Mostert as opposed to Chase Evans. I mean, Chase Edward, Edmonds, I don't know if that's the reason that the running game was good, but in this particular game, after struggling against New England last week, in this game, they ran the ball pretty effectively. Uh, Mostert, 11 carries for 51 yards. Edmonds, five carries for another 33 yards. So they didn't run it a lot because they were down, but they were able to run it, again, fairly effectively. Okay, 
Let's talk about Tua. Let's get to the Tua discourse here. Uh, luckily, Dolphins fans, or maybe they did, and I just don't see it because of my Twitter notifications, mute people who don't follow me. But I stated something maybe two-thirds of the way through the game about how Tua hadn't been playing that well, but they just had these explosive plays that they were making. And then, you know, he went even more nuclear the rest of the game there. And I think you have to look at both sides of this. I think you have to say Tua's playing well. He's being protected well, which is a little bit, like, shocking if you look at how this team was the last couple of years. In fact, I just ran some numbers for teams and their uh, sack prevention or, you know, sack giving up I guess you could say, for for offensive lines and um, and quarterbacks. And Miami Dolphins are actually number one right now in sacks prevented. Some of that for the offensive line or for blocking. Some of that is a poor pass rush because it's based upon how quick pressures are coming. So maybe they're not quite as good and maybe it's just a poor pass rush there. But some of that is really improved play, especially with Armstead and, you know, the guys playing on the outside there. So that's huge going forward because I said this was going to be Alex Smith 2017 season for Tua. And I think that's what we're getting so far. You saw those two bombs to Tyreek Hill. One of them, he ran past Marcus Peters, who looked like Peters was playing cover three. That was his responsibility on the outside. He was sitting on it a little bit, looking to make a play. Uh, Tyreek ran right, right past him. And while Tua got the ball there, you know, Tyreek almost turned fully around to catch it. Before before he got there. And then the other one was just a blown blown coverage with Tyreek Hill wide open. And like I said, that kind of reminds me of how extremely efficient Alex Smith was throwing the ball deep in 2017. You're going to start hearing that about Tua and his extreme efficiency throwing the ball deep this season as if he's, you know, solved his his issues with arm strength, which, you know, it's kind of unrelated. You just have Tyreek Hill, you have Jalen Waddle, you have these guys who can get open especially Tyreek Hill down the field. That's why I was calling out Alex Smith 2017 was going to be Tua this year. And he did that exactly as I was hoping or expected or thought would, would happen in this game. But again, for a guy who threw for, you know, 400 and change and six touchdowns, his grade at 83.9 is pretty good, but it's not as outstanding as you might think that he deserves. Uh, hurt a little bit by a couple of turnover-worthy plays. Both of them were interceptions. Not egregiously bad. One of them was a tip and a great play by um, Marcus Peters for the Ravens. But those hurt his numbers somewhat going forward. I think a little bit of concern time for Ravens, though, offensively. And defensively, not getting pressure. Offensively, that run game is just really not working. We're going to have to let Lamar, I think, cook a little bit more. And I don't think JK Dobbins coming back is just going to magically solve issues. Maybe Ronnie Stanley coming back will magically solve issues, but not necessarily JK Dobbins going forward. Okay. Next game here is, Ooh, Browns jets. This was the biggest win probability flip of any. This was a game where the Browns had a 99% win probability deep, deep, deep into the fourth quarter with only a few minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
And Jacoby Brissett was kind of cooking in this game. How often, how often do we get to say that? That Jacoby Brissett was cooking early, got his uh, established his connection with Amari Cooper in this game. Cooper had um nine catches for 101 yards. I mean, only 229 total yards for Brissett, but he didn't have to throw it a lot. You know, he had an 80 grade in this game, one of his better passing grades. He did have a turnover-worthy play, an interception, um, but still 22 of 27 for 229 yards. That's 8.5 yards per attempt. That's pretty, pretty good. Uh, I mean, Flacco, 77.5 grade. He ended up having a little bit more of the four touchdowns. Oof. No turnover-worthy plays for Flacco. So, uh, you know, do do the um, Jets win this game with Zach Wilson there? I don't know. I don't know. Something to ponder. Something to think about. Uh, running the ball, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were both awesome. 17 carries, 87 yards for Chubb, 13.58 for Hunt. Brees Hall played better in this game, but he didn't. He wasn't really used that much more than uh, Michael Carter, so I don't think he's necessarily taking over the backfield there. And a coming out game here for Garrett Wilson, who really wasn't getting that many snaps, but it looks like Braxton Berrios was kind of demoted in this game a bit. He only had 10 routes run, where Garrett Wilson had 36 out of 48, so just as many as Corey Davis in this game. 14 targets, 8 catches, 102 yards, 2 touchdowns. And he didn't really get like the cheapy sort of stuff like we saw from Corey Davis where he had that ridiculously long um, blown coverage touchdown there. Uh, This was stuff that he was earning and playing really well there. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the second, I think the second wide receiver drafted, right? Second wide receiver drafted in uh, the 2022 draft is starting to pay off here, but a good game for Garrett Wilson. All right, let me dig a little bit more. I didn't give you all the numbers. I didn't give you the adjusted score on this one. This will be an interesting one to look up with the huge comeback here. So Cleveland was a six and a half point favorite going into this. They lose by a point. Adjusted score, Cleveland 32, Jets 21. Okay. Too bad, Browns fans. Uh, 94th percentile in total success rate, whereas the Jets were only at 42nd percentile. Yet their actual EPA per play were much closer, much more narrow there big plays. And this Browns defense last year, you know, you want to predict regression on things like third downs, uh, giving up outlier big plays. You're going to hope that a defense is going to get better at that. Defense was really bad last year at that, continuing to have problems, especially in this game, which I think is going to be very, very concerning for Browns fans. And I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Barry, people are calling for his head, um, which they probably did a decent amount last year. Again, this after this game. Browns so close to being 2-0 and with a window for, again, an easy schedule here to start the season and eventually get Deshaun Watson back. Um, but it didn't, didn't end up happening. Wasted a great game from Jacoby Brissett. Has to be his game of the year with an 83 grade and uh, 0.55 EPA per play. That's like a great Patrick Mahomes game type of numbers. But... Wasted away here with a loss to the Jets. 
Okay, before I get into the rest of the games, we're going to talk DraftKings. NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With bigger payouts than ever, why not bet on footwear? Why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets. If your team wins when you place a $5 bet, on any football game, that's code PFF, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an, afford, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Sorry, guys, I was kind of struggling through through that one um, a little bit there. Okay. But we must persist. We must endure. Uh, next game on the schedule... Panthers Giants. Okay, I've already riled up the Giants fans here um, by saying that, you know, are they one of the worst 2 0 teams ever? After beating the Titans, and you could say, oh, their defense looks good. I mean, Ryan Tannehill put up numbers in that game. Yeah, they held down Derrick Henry, so I'll give you that. But Tannehill put up numbers. And Carolina, I mean, come on, that's not much of a test defensively. Um, plus they recovered both fumbles for the Panthers. So the Panthers got a little unlucky, Chuba Hubbard and, um, Robbie Anderson both fumbled. So they got both of those, uh, technically Baker Mayfield fumbled too, but it was like right as he was going out of bounds. So I don't really consider that like something to their benefit that they should have recovered. So they got that luck there. Uh, the Panthers were two of 12 on third down. You could say, well, that's great defense. Maybe, but you know, even the worst team in the NFL, isn't going to only convert one out of every six third down. So you're getting a little bit r- lucky with that one. And this is a smaller luck factor, but four of four in field goals, a couple of 50 plus yarders, including a 56 yarder from Graham Gano. He's a good kicker, but you know, sometimes kickers miss one of those uh, and he didn't miss anything here. And then they end up getting the victory in this one. So I think the problem, though, is just offensively, it's just putrid for the Giants. This is not – so people compared them to the Panthers from last year. I mean, the Panthers had a 75th percentile offense in in terms of efficiency and success rate. They had an 85th percentile defense in terms of efficiency and success rate after the first few games of the season. The Giants are – bottom three in offensive success rate right now. And they're middle of the pack with defensive success rate playing against some, you know, somewhat struggling defense. So what we're going to hear a lot of, and, you know, I just hate the the narratives that end up getting plowed into coaching um, all the time. You know, I, I just, I just can't stand that sort of stuff. But we're going to hear about Dayball and what he's brought to the team. And I know Joe Judge stinks, and Joe Judge had some embarrassing moments. But more than anything else, this is just 
the Giants scraping out a couple of victories when in both games they should have lost the game according to my adjusted scores. Oh, I got to hit them with the adjusted scores. I got to hit the, the Giants fans with that. They'll love that. Okay, so Giants and Panthers. Panthers were one point favorite in this game. They win 19 16. Adjusted score 15 11. Uh, Panthers are favored in this one. Fifth percentile success rate for the Giants offense in this, yet they end up winning the game. And I guess there must have been, let me see. What were we what were we looking at in terms of big plays in this in this game to figure out how they ended up getting there? Um 24 yard third and 10 conversion. It says here the 16 yard touchdown on second and 10. Richie James Jr., a 15-yard catch. Not a whole lot. They just, you know, they're just bad. Just a bad offense. Uh, looks like Kenny Galladay has been put out to pasture. He is, he ran two routes in this game. So he's done. Kadarius Tony is getting some work. But then even Tony wasn't able to do much uh, here. Again, nobody is really doing much. Maybe the Panthers don't have that bad of a of a pass defense, but Still, nobody's really really doing anything here. Uh, let me see. 176 passing yards in total. Yeah, when your leading receiver is David Sills. I'm not sure I know who that is. Um, with three catches for 37 yards. Yeah, not not great. Not great at all. Kadarius Tony, two catches, zero yards. It's impressive in its own way, uh, that type of, of stat line. On the other side, DJ Moore, 43 yards and a touchdown, finally gets a touchdown. But when you have an offense that's only producing 145 yards passing here, not so well the year before, you're just not going to get a lot. Not going to be a lot to get. I mean, outside of that Robbie Anderson busted coverage week one touchdown that they got, it just looks like a grind for this offense. Uh, McCaffrey, a little bit better as far as getting four catches for 26 yards in this game. And then also... On the ground, 15 carries for 102 yards, but it's just not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough to really get this offense started unless you can convert those third downs. Again, great running games still need the third down conversions, and they did not get this in this game. Two for 12 for Baker and that offense on third down. Giants fans, you're you're, you're probably going to be my mensch, my mentions uh, going forward because I've identified you as my next target to go after for not being as good as the final scores. And you might have a, a decent runway here to, to come after me because not only are you two and zero now, but maybe my timing wasn't so great on this, but I had to get it in while I could not only are you two and zero, but you got the Cowboys and Cooper rush. And then you got the, the bears after that. So we could be looking at giants, giants four and zero. Oh God! You could be looking at Giants four and zero by by some miracle here uh, is a distinct a distinct possibility. Two games are at home, also, so they're staying at home. They have a three week home stretch here. Yeah, Giants four and zero. That's going to be something that I'll have to deal with, but I'll take it. I'll take the bullets. Uh, I love the fans. I love the passion out there uh, from you guys. All right, let's get to. Pittsburgh, New England, ugly game again. And every week I'm begging you, Mike Tomlin. I love you, Mike Tomlin. Okay. I think you're an awesome coach. You're a hall of fame head coach. I'm not here to question how you run your operation. I'm not here to question 
how you motivate your team. Master motivator, genuine dude. Seems like such a good, good dude. I'd love to just hang out with Mike Tomlin. Probably no, number one, number one of any coach in the NFL, Mike Tomlin, for sure. I would want this dude just to be my friend. Join my family, okay? I want Mike Tomlin in my family. Um, but can we stop it with Mitch Trubisky? Please, can we stop it? Uh, my projection coming into the season was that he was going to be a bottom three quarterback based upon what we had seen in the past. He stinks, okay? He continues to stink. He's killing the fantasy football hopes and dreams and just the hopes and dreams period of one of the most talented wide receiver groups in the NFL. Claypool, four for 26. Deontay Johnson, six for 57. George Pickens, one of 20, one for 23. Pickens has two catches for 29 yards. You're killing these people here. This combination of Trubisky and Matt Canada and like it couldn't get worse. No, it can get worse. Going from Ben Roethlisberger to Mitch Trubisky, it is getting worse. You were vastly inferior team last week. I'm sorry. I know you got five turnovers from the Bengals and sacked them seven times. The defense is great. I'm not trying to take away from the defense, but you're not, even if you play a top, top notch defensive effort, you're not going to get five turnovers every week to barely win in overtime after a missed field goal and a, and a blocked field goal. Um, and then you lose this game where it was close. It was there for the taking. You got to get Kenny Pickett in there. Okay, there's no reason. The only, any reason you say, oh, he's a bad offensive line. What are we going to do? Just redshirt him the whole year? That offensive line's not going anywhere. He's a 25-year-old. Is he 25? 24 or 25. He's old. Kenny Pickett. Get him in there. Get him in there now. Do not give away more victories. You're not tanking this season. Mr. Bisky is a quarterback you put in for the tank, not to try to win games here. Stop doing it, please, Mike Tomlin. Though I'll restate, I love you, Mike Tomlin, but... We have a disagreement of opinion here. And I feel very strongly that I'm correct. And I've been saying it since before the season started. And the evidence that piles in just gets worse and worse for Mitch Trubisky. Um, okay, let's get over some of the numbers for this exact game here. New England was a three-point favorite in this one, despite being in Pittsburgh. Final, uh, final score, 17-14 New England. So they... The old push there, kissing your sister, pushing. 18-13 uh, by the adjusted score. So a little bit better, but not that great. Not that great, quite honestly. Uh, New England did have a good success rate of 66%, but most of it was running the ball. And my my formulation gives a little bit, a lot more credit to passing success rate than rushing success rate. Actually, Pittsburgh was good running the ball too. 83% success rate running the ball, which is you know, rather shocking for the Steelers who have not been able to run the ball since, I don't know, at least 2020. Do we have to go before 2020? I don't even remember how bad or good the running game was in 2020, but it was God awful um, last year. So a little surprising to see um, what they were able to do here. 4.1 yards per carry. So not great there. Um let me get into some of the details here. I wonder if they converted some, some third downs, and that's probably what ended up happening in this one. Um, 
Uh, they had an 18-yard run, which was a pretty big one. Oh, a third and one that they converted. Okay, this is when it started to come in there. Another third and one that they converted. Yeah, so getting those third and one conversions, rushing the ball, can end up being pretty profitable from a success rate and EPA standpoint, and that's what they were there. Now, going back to our uh, Mitch Trubisky here and the drop-back passing offense, 13th percentile success rate, 22nd percentile EPA per play. Uh, New England up in the 64th and 56th percentile there. But the thing that's been a little bit concerning for Mac Jones is he's getting pressured. You'd expect that someone in this game, he didn't take sacks, so he's good at avoiding sacks, but he's getting pressured. And the turnover-worthy plays, he had two more in this game. Uh, One of them was intercepted, which was kind of like an arm punt. He just threw down on third and long, and it was intercepted. Another one was a critical drop by Cam Sutton where it was right there. It was a very, very, very catchable type of ball that he did not end up getting um, that hurt them quite a bit. And, you know, the Steelers could have won this game, man, and been at 2-0 and with Trubisky playing the way that he's playing. Even more rope for him going forward. It would have been a disaster from from my perspective as someone who wants to see the transition to to Kenny Pickett. Will it happen this week? I hope it does. I mean, the crowd's booing like crazy during these games. And I know that they, you know, vote of confidence. Maybe we'll hear first in the week. But, God, I'm just fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that we're going to see Kenny Pickett the rest of this year. Because otherwise, I just don't understand what the heck is going on here. Uh, Sticking with Trubisky. It's like, really don't understand it. Uh, Okay, let's get to the next game on the agenda here. It is the Los Angeles Rams versus the Atlanta Falcons. Almost made the comeback here. So this is like the almost comeback, one of the almost comeback games. Oh, she's Atlanta. That's the other team that did the down for down by eight, uh, go for two in near the end of the game. And they, they converted it. Now, things didn't go well after that, but they did convert it. So they came back from being down 28 to three and, uh, in an ironic way, uh, but they still end up losing 31 to 20. They actually, they cut it down to 31 to 23. And that's when they went for two and they converted in that situation. Uh, and then Cooper cup fumbles, they're in business, but unfortunately at the end of the game, uh, Jalen Ramsey mossed Brian Edwards and sealed it. Uh, let's get into all the particulars for this game and the numbers. Okay, so the Rams were 10-point favorites, a get-right type of game, and it was a get-right offensively game for them. The score was 31-27. to 27. Uh, The adjusted score up at 28-15. to 15. So Atlanta did a lot better than their score here. 99th percentile total success rate for the Rams in this game. They were able to run the ball in an 85th percentile, pass the ball at a 98th percentile. They did lose a fumble from Cooper Cup that I mentioned there, which ends up hurting them. And they did have three turnover-worthy throws for Stafford. Two of them were intercepted, so they got a little bit lucky there, and that holds down their adjusted score somewhat in this game. Uh, Atlanta couldn't convert on third down. Five of 13 on third down. That's what really held them down early, despite the fact that they were playing okay. I mean, the grade for Stafford is only a 58 in this game, uh, despite the fact that he had such good efficiency because of all of those turnover-worthy plays and the fact that they were kind of just matriculating the ball down 
down the field the rest of the time and not necessarily hitting those big time high end throws that are going to pump up the grade for Stafford. Uh, Allen Robinson, something to note in this game after putting up uh, one catch in, in his first week this week, didn't have a lot going on. Five, I mean, still 14 targets for Cooper Cup versus five for Allen Robinson, but he did get a receiving touchdown, four for 53, you know, baby steps going forward. Uh, Cooper Cup is completely unstoppable. 14 targets, 11 receptions, 108 yards, two touchdowns. Like, just destroying, destroying in fantasy so far. And when it comes to the, the running game, kind of surprised that they had such a good um, rushing efficiency at 2.6 yards per attempt, but I think they converted some third downs there, which ended up boosting things up a little bit. Um, Kyle Pitts, does Kyle Pitts exist? Is he a unicorn? Is he a unicorn? Do we call him the unicorn because he's just a figment of our imaginations? <laughs> or does he actually does he actually do something? Maybe that's his unicornness, is that he's just a myth that we were telling ourselves and not an actual NFL player. Uh, four catches for 38 yards on the season. Consistent though, two catches for 19 yards, both, both games. I don't know what's going on there. We keep on hearing, oh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts, that combination is going to be so awesome. So unstoppable. So whatever. Well, I mean, do something I'm, I'm poking. I'm doing that thing where you poke him with a stick and I'm poking Kyle Pitts and I'm saying, do something or Marcus Mariota throw to Kyle Pitts, please. You guys do something here. Uh, though Drake London, so he, Garrett Wilson, Alave to a lesser extent, uh, all looking pretty good here. 11 targets, eight catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown for London. I mean, a lot of quote-unquote garbage time sort of stuff going on here, having the 28-3 to deficit, but still, rather have garbage time production than no production. And that's what we ended up seeing from London in this game. Okay, 49ers, Seahawks, big news here. Trey Lance, ankle injury out for the year. And I don't want to, I'm not giving myself credit here because this is very, very random. You never want to give yourself credit on events when we're talking about people being injured. I did mention last week though, and I had uh, a couple of times, that the way they played at least in Chicago, that Lance was going to have trouble surviving the season and not getting injured because he was taking so many hits. I mean, not only was he running the ball so much and scrambling so much, but he just was taking hits. It wasn't like a Jalen Hurts type of way of avoiding hits. And unfortunately, very, very bad luck here that it happened already that he had this, this ankle injury. On the flip side, for the 49ers, um, this has to be so uh, serendipitous how things came together here. You wanted to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo for the right price. Let's say, I don't know, if they would have got a third-round pick for Jimmy, they would have taken that for sure, I think. What sort of pick would they give up for Jimmy if they didn't have him and Trey Lance goes down with everything that's going on there? I don't know. I mean, not a first-round pick, maybe. <laughs> they don't have any because they gave him all away to get Trey Lance. But second-round pick, probably, or else your season's over. 
You know, you're in, you're in the, the, the Chase Daniels uh, is your quarterback going forward. And we've all seen what's happened when you bring in these also-ran quarterbacks for the 49ers and for Shanahan. Nothing good. Nothing good has happened. And for what it's worth, and it's it's hard to say, that betting markets in-game did not really move at all. Uh, the odds of who was going to win the game when Lance got injured. And Super Bowl odds are tougher to judge because they have an additional victory here. But they got better. Their Super Bowl odds got better. You'd expect that with the victory. I think we can pretty assuredly say that the difference between starter and backup, at least our expectations, what we know now, I understand that Lance had this has this huge ceiling that we didn't really know about, but our what we know now between starter and backup, negligible difference as far as how we should project this team going forward, their chances going forward. So while the Lance injury is really, really bad for his career, and I feel bad for this for this kid who's not going to have a chance maybe ever to prove himself going forward, we'll see. And it's a bad investment for the 49ers, uh, an unfortunately bad investment for the 49ers. If we just look within the parameters of this NFL season, it may lower their Super Bowl chances a little bit if like Lance was going to hit that high-end outcome, although we hadn't seen that yet. We definitely did not see that in week one. But I think their chances to make the playoffs, their chances to go deeper into the playoffs, all those sorts of things, I think are fully intact at this point. Um, as long as Garoppolo can keep himself uh, healthy. And of course, we get another season of Gar- nerds versus ner- Garoppolo truthers like myself versus f- film guys who will want to discount everything that he does on every single play. Like the fact that he's drawing some defensive pass interference, I think 50 something yards of defensive pass interference on some some underthrows this last week. Love me some Jimmy G though. Okay, so this is a game they had to have. San Francisco had to have after losing in Chicago week one. Score is 27 to nine. The adjusted score is a little bit closer, 19 to 11. So it's pretty close there. The success rate was low for the 49ers at 32%. It was actually 50%. And they ran the ball really well for the um for the Seahawks but they're just passing was awful uh Geno Smith everyone's favorite is kind of falling apart here we're going six straight quarters now without an offensive touchdown and he's actually graded pretty well I think Geno still is going to have like a top 10-ish sort of grade but his efficiency is just falling off and of course it'll be the opposite for Garoppolo his efficiency will be good and his grading will be bad as it always is kind of shocking right now that the entire NFC West is one and one when you consider the extreme differences in talent and surroundings in Seattle versus those other teams. But that is the case as of right now. I think I said most of what I had to say re San Francisco with Jimmy, cause that's going to be the story going forward. Um, Maybe we could be slightly intrigued on what will happen in the backfield because Shanahan has an ability to pull out these guys out of nowhere and make them very, very successful. We didn't necessarily know what was going to happen with uh, Elijah Mitchell out in this game. Jeff Wilson Jr., 18 carries for 84 yards. Tyrion Davis-Price, TDP, was um, 14 carries for 33 yards. So a pretty even split between the two of them there. I thought Debo might get a lot more work, but... Being the type of game it was, he only had four carries. But again, 53 yards. This guy just keeps doing it. 
over and over and over again. Um, pretty amazing as far as that is concerned. And then let's get to the receiving here. I mean, just not a lot of yardage. It was very strange how low yardage, pass yardage, so many of these games are this week. So many games were having both teams go under 200 yards. And this is another one that we saw here with Brandon Ayuk, five, of, five for 63, Debo, five for 44. But not a lot other than that. And on the flip side, Tyler Lockett, nine for 107, and DK Metcalf, four for 35. Um, just things are looking rough. Looking rough in Seattle, but they're going to just ride out that week one victory and just victory lap that for the entire rest of the season, I have a feeling. All right, let's get to Dallas and Cincinnati. Let's uh, Burrow sack discourse. Let's get into that. Let's get into that first because, uh, again, in this game, he was being harassed and a great Cowboys defense and a great Cowboys pass rush. Don't get me wrong. Um, that's part of what's going on. The Steelers the week before, you know, before TJ Watt went down, that also is part of what's going on. But now for Burrow, six sacks this week after taking seven sacks the week before. You know, not so hot. And again, if we go back to this uh, analysis that I that I do on sack prevention, who is it? Is it quarterback? Is it offensive line? Is it coverage? Is it pass rush? Well, Burrow is second to last to Jameis Winston, although he has a lot more dropbacks for, so far this season in his sacks prevented. So about five of the sacks are on Burrow and maybe one and a half close, you know, maybe a little bit more than that are on his offensive line. There are just so many plays for Burrow where he takes an extra hitch. He moves up in the pocket. He does something where he just could get rid of the ball a little bit earlier. So he's not necessarily like hurting the team if he can make plays on some of those sorts of plays, but this is still, in my opinion, mostly on him, although his offensive line is not doing him any favors uh, going against really, really good defenses here. Cooper Rush, they get a victory for the Cowboys. Shocking. I thought their season was pretty much over with this one here. And we have to start to wonder with the Bengals at 0-2, a team that was called overrated by me and many others last season, and they continue to stick it to us every single week. Uh, at least the defense continued to stick it to us as they move through the playoffs into the Super Bowl. Um, now a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of that old regression hitting here. And 0-2 now. Cooper Rush one week and Mitch Trubisky the other week. You're losing to Trubisky and Cooper Rush back-to-back. Not good. Not good for a team that has a pretty difficult schedule and a difficult AFC North this season. Zach Taylor got an extension. Mm. Is anyone impressed with him? Uh, no, but, you know, he did his thing. He got his extension. So he's not not really like this dude's going to get fired if everything falls apart this year. But at least it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, Micah Parsons, Defensive Player of the Year, definitely a top two candidate, I would say, with Miles Garrett right now. 91.5 pass rush grade, seven pressures, two sacks. He has 12 pressures and four sacks already. Very strong contender for defensive player of the year. Okay, one situational thing, which will blow football guys' minds, just absolutely destroy them. Um, But probably the right thing to do is at the very end of this game, Cincinnati had the ball fourth and two. 
at their own 16-yard line. And let's see, how much time was remaining in this one? Um, Fourth and two, 16-yard line, 109 remaining in the fourth quarter. Tie ball game. Now, people would think this is absolutely insane to do. But according to the Ben Baldwin bot and also ESPN's numbers that Seth Walder, uh, ESPN analytics writer, provided, both of them said the team should have gone for it in that situation. Let's say you have a 50-50 chance of converting the fourth and two. So then you have a 50% chance that you have the ball on your own 20 versus a 50% chance that the opponent has the ball and gets a chip shot field goal and pretty much wins the game. Uh, But the problem is, so it's not great there, but the problem is that it depends on what your success rate is. You're probably probably more like a 60% success rate for this offense. The problem is that, or why this is a, this is the right thing you should do in this situation is whether you're on your 16 yard line or whether you're on the, I don't know, 30 yard line and you fail on the fourth down, you're toast either way. Like those are both gimme field goals. But when you're on your own 16 yard line and you're punting, you're giving up that field position. So it's actually more, you should go for it more if you're on the, on your own 16 than if you're on your own like 35, because you punting away from your own 16 is, is going to put your defense in a really, really bad field position situation for the other team to, in a minute, get a field goal. Whereas if you're on your own 35 and you punt it, it's a much better field position type of situation for your defense coming back the other direction. If you don't get it, though, you're toast either way. Like kickers now within 50 yards, they're pretty automatic. Within 45 yards, definitely automatic. Within 40 yards, certainly automatic. Um, So that's just something that's maybe a little bit counterintuitive that it actually raises the chance, the, the call for you to go for it the closer you're at your own end zone in that situation. Counterintuitive, but because kickers are so good from so far out, um, it doesn't, you know, in the field position, you lose in that situation. That's They should have gone for it. Now, people's minds would have been completely blown if they didn't get it. It would have set back analytics like 20 years, but they definitely should have done it in that game. All right, let's get to Vegas and the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, job saved perhaps for Cliff Kingsbury by Kyler Murray and that comeback. Uh, what a crazy game, craziest two point conversion ever holding the ball for 21 seconds, running around a total of 84 yards as he did. Um, delay of game on the final two point conversion and some bad, bad clock management stuff, but they still ended up converting them. Um, Hunter Renfro with the, with the fumble later, which ended up, being scooped up and taken for the victory. Definitely the wildest and craziest game of the week and a pretty interesting one too. Oh, just quickly, I didn't give you the adjusted score for uh, Cowboys Bengals. It was 15-9 Bengals over the Cowboys. Cowboys stunk in that game uh, offensively, but we're lucky to get the victory. Uh, uh, Just a score here, 20-12 to Arizona. So they were the better team after coming back by so much. And if you think about it, this is what's wild. And I think this is the biggest takeaway here. I don't have a lot of takes on everything else that's going on. I mean, the Raiders were going to be fourth always in that division for me, so I'm not surprised starting off 0-2. But the take for Arizona and their chance going forward is they're 1-1. It was ugly. 
as about as ugly as you can be going one and one. Questions abound, but you have Kyler Murray. He's healthy. You have DeAndre Hopkins eventually coming back, and you have a division now where you look out on the landscape. Niners are one and one. Rams are one and one. You're right there, despite a pretty awful start to the season, despite getting completely shellacked in week one, despite having been down huge at halftime. All that stuff, now you're one and one. If you can get things back on track and having Kyler Murray helps there, Arizona, maybe we shouldn't completely write them off despite what we've seen from them these first couple of weeks. All right, Denver, Houston. So the Broncos and the Texans. Believe it or not, Russ was getting booed. He was getting booed in this game, but he could, he's back to his old Russ ways of a 90-something passing grade and then not so great efficiency because he had the four big-time throws and no turnover-worthy plays, which pumped that up quite substantially. Okay, the numbers here. Uh, Denver was a 10-point favorite against the Houston Texans, 16-9, ugly game. Uh, 18-11 is the adjusted score. Both teams are around 30% as far as their success rate is concerned. Yeah, just not good. Not not good here for the offense. And I think there's people shouldn't freak out too much about the inefficiency for uh, Denver because Russ was good in week one. They just lost that game. So I think people have totally like not he was good efficiency wise. I know there were some problems, you know, the fumbles, the inability to line up correctly and snap the ball, all that stuff. But uh, success rate efficiency wise, he was actually pretty good. We've kind of forgotten about all that because they lost and now they won this game and he was bad. So I think everyone's overall impression is just bad that Russ has just been bad this season. Whereas his numbers, he's fifth in grading and ninth in EPA per play right now, Russ. I don't think anyone would suspect that from the feelings going around about Russ right now. Now, Hackett, Nathaniel, how do you have like the worst coaching performance or worst ending game coaching performance in history one week and then come back the next week and maybe say, maybe try to do even worse in this game? It was amazing here. Um, I mean, he didn't go for it on an obvious fourth and two, then they get delay of game, setting up a, a field goal another time. Uh, they punted another time. They got a delay of game where they had to go for it. Uh, they ran a third and one option with Andrew Beck on the play before they had that fourth and two, which then they take the delay of game and have to punt it. Uh, they burned a timeout and another time later on in the game because they didn't have a punt returner there. And in a hilarious fashion, two delay of games on fourth and one and fourth and two in this one. And in hilarious fashion, the Broncos crowd was chanting down the playcock like five, four, three, so that the offense would know what was going on. I mean, kind of mocking them a little bit also, but probably actually trying to be helpful by, by counting down the play clock in this one. Um, I'm not, you know, total panic mode when it comes to the Broncos, but if you think about a schedule that starts off Seahawks, Texans, to pull out, barely pull out this one, and to lose week one and have Hackett look as bad as he's looked and have this bad impression around Russ, who actually hasn't been that bad. It's a lot of bad juju. A lot of bad vibes going to be going around that building for the next week until they can go ahead and do something. And let's see, who are the who are the Broncos playing in the next couple of weeks? Because this is going to probably determine their season. I mean, the Raiders, 
the 49ers and the and the Raiders. So those are tough games. Those are tough games. Uh, it looks like 49ers are going to be at home. So at least they have the 49ers at home. Well, that's, oh, that's Sunday night. Um, waiting all day for Sunday night. That's going to be Sunday night football, 49ers, Broncos. That'll be fun. And then the Raiders the week after that, then the Colts, then the Chargers. <laughs> tough stretch come up here for the Broncos. They really need at least one W from the 49ers and Raiders. And then they need at least one W from the Colts and the Broncos to be a 500 team before they face the Jets, the Jaguars, the Titans, and the Raiders again. And then the Panthers have a pretty good stretch there. They need to maintain this kind of 500-ness, though, until that stretch, or else things are going to get really bad going forward. All right, Sunday night football, it was bad, right? I mean, it was okay. I guess if you like to see Aaron Jones rushing plays, it was pretty awesome. He did extremely well, although he really split things with A.J. Dillon, but he went off 132 yards rushing, 38 receiving, two touchdowns. Uh, but Dylan was right there as far as his usage is concerned. Let's get to the numbers here. Get right game for the um, for the Packers in this one. Okay, so the numbers. 10.5 point favorites going into they win 27-10. 24-13 is the adjusted score, so a little bit more narrow, but not that different in there. Um, Chicago, interesting that they just didn't pass the ball very much in this one. They were 25% under expectation, their pass percentage. They passed it 42% of the time, despite being down all the time. I mean, does that show some concerns about faith in Justin Fields? Maybe. That's not, not great. Uh, one of eight converting third and fourth down. So that's obviously going to hold you down quite a bit. And where do we stand with Justin Fields? We mentioned the grading so far this season for Lawrence being in the top 10 with his efficiency, but 15th at grading. Justin Fields is 32nd. So second to last because Cooper Rush is in there too. So second to last in grading. Dak Prescott was still worse in that first game. And, tw- and 30th in epa per play so not great not great start to the season obviously had that that you know awful game in the weather before but you know this game wasn't good either it was worse from an epa per play perspective from fields almost minus 0.7 39 grade so he was even worse in this one by grading and by epa per play than he was in the monsoon the week before um i don't think concerns are alleviated here for the Packers and what they're going to end up doing offensively, whether they find something. I mean, having Alan Lazard back is, is fine. It's great. It's, you know, a body to have out there. It's a guy who could probably do pretty well, but still, you know, two catches for 113 yards here and bears 70 passing yards. That's, that's got, how, how do you even do that? Um, Darnell Mooney, negative four. That's pretty impressive in a way. Um, and then, Sammy Watkins, three catches for 93 yards, but again, only three catches, only four targets there. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon had six targets. They're probably going to end up continuing to have high targets uh, going forward. And Romeo Dobbs, another kind of disappointing rookie, along with other preseason sensations like George Pickens, only two catches for 27 yards here. Um, 
Yeah, the Bears are great. They're in the 90-something percentile running the ball, so I guess that's why they continue to do so here. But if you can't convert on third and fourth down, as I've mentioned a billion times before, to make or miss league on third or fourth down, you got to convert those. They couldn't do it, and that's what ends up happening. Despite getting 15 carries for 122 yards for David Montgomery, despite getting a couple of first down conversions from Justin Fields when he was running the ball, uh, it's just not going to make a difference. And I don't know what to say for Fields. We got to see a little bit more here. I know he's put behind the eight ball, tough defense, not the greatest atmosphere, but I, I, I just let him throw the ball a little bit more. It's not about optimizing your chance to have the closest margin or the smallest defeat margin uh, offensively. It's about getting something out of your quarterback. And if you're just going to throw up your hands and say, well, we can't do anything throwing the ball and we can run the ball. So we're just going to do that. I don't know. I want to see a little bit more from him going forward. And getting that victory in week one, I mean, depending upon how things go with Fields, and I'm not going to write him off already, but he was a pick from the previous regime, that victory week one actually hurts a little bit if this new regime, uh, new front office, wants to you know take a look at some of those quarterbacks next year. That could end up hurting them a little bit in that uh, the fact that they actually ended up pulling out a victory against a 49ers team where they were a massive underdog going into that. We'll see how it plays out. Again, not writing them off, but unencouraging, discouraging start for Justin Fields on this season. But hopefully he can get things turned around. Okay, that's everything, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tomorrow I'll come back to you with two two Monday night games, all the numbers, all the reviews, all the adjusted scores. Um, Giants fans, watch watch when I trigger Giants fans this week. If you guys have any Giants fans, find my tweets, send it to them, get them riled up uh, when I'm going to put them out there about, about the adjusted scores, and we'll get a new, uh, a new round of uh, quote tweet dunks, which ends up getting me more followers because they're, you know, p- people actually like to get this information that I'm sending out there. Uh, go ahead and rate and review the pod. And again, I'll be coming back to you tomorrow morning. Until then, enjoy the games. And I'll be talking at everyone then. Thanks so much.